discover his gifts. <laughs> just fig- Man, just imagine what he could do. What a great song, a great moment. Count me in. Can you remember a time in your walk with God where you had one of those moments? You know, I can remember being a teenager uh, at a conference called High Places where things just started to come alive for me. I, I've talked about it before. Where I just, God was just there and he made sense to me and things were alive and it was just so exciting. Maybe you've had moments like that last summer, this past summer at the baptism. For many of you, that was your count me in moment. You know, for a lot of us though, we have these, these moments through our progression of faith where, oh God, you are there. You are, you know, he is all a part of our lives and we can feel him and we can sense him. And then there's this, sometimes there is this pause between and there's this waiting and we're wondering what's happening next. Well, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about what that next thing really is after we have this count me in type moment. The words of the song that Paul just sang read like this. I'm looking at these plans you have. For me, they're plans of hope and peace much bigger than the ones I have. And I've tried to follow mine. Have you tried to follow your plans? How limited are our plans when we think about life? And maybe that's what's brought many of you here today because you've been following your plans and things just aren't working out. The song continues. I tried to follow mine. I was going nowhere fast. Your love makes me like David with a stone and sling. What a great image. I love an underdog. Nothing else could bring my life so much meaning. Really, meaning is what we're looking for, isn't it? Uh, we're, we're looking for why it is that we're here. What's our purpose? What is it that we're supposed to be doing here? We're going to work. We're, maybe we're coming to church and things are starting to connect and we're coming alive in, in, our, in our life with Christ. But there's still a sense of meaning. And in my biz, so to speak, I have the chance to talk to a lot of people about meaning. I sat with my my brother-in-law, who became a dad for the first time this past week, and saw his little boy, watched him hold him, and it, it, he's a whole new individual. I'm watching him just talk and say things and change diapers that I never thought he would change, and he is just alive and awake in a way that, uh, that, that he hasn't been in the past. You know, I, I had an opportunity yesterday to do a, a couple of weddings and uh, I love weddings for many reasons, but I love uh, spending a moment with the uh, father of the bride. Because as a, a dad of two small girls, a three-year-old and a, and a one-year-old, I can only imagine that moment if it's God's will for me to walk those girls down the aisle. Although I was talking to Michael in Denmark yesterday, and he said, so are you going to walk them down the aisle and then turn around and marry them? How's that going to work? And I said, no, nope, you just got to stick around long enough to marry them. So uh, he kind of giggled like that. 
but I, I, so I had a moment with, with one of the, uh, the fathers of the bride where I just said, how, you know, here's my story. And he said, like all of the fathers of the brides do, they said, it just goes by so quick. Before you know it, things are, things are gone. And the little girl that was dressing up as a princess is today walking down the aisle, getting married to some guy that you hope is a good guy, hope will treat her well. Hope she'll have everything she always hoped for. And, and then in, in kind of in the following conversation, this dad just looking for meaning, asking, you know, what's next? He's now an, got an empty nest, and what is he going to be doing? You know, for students, for so many years, when I would walk with them, high school and middle school kids, their, their sense of meaning and longing for purpose and hope looks different. It's, it's, is there anything beyond this high school, middle school rut? Is there more than just who's, who is going to befriend me? What's the next sport or club that I can be a part of? But regardless of what has brought us here today, what unifies us is that we are all looking for meaning. We're looking for hope. We're looking for purpose. And so if that's you, uh, boy, you've come to the right place today. And really Paul's entire letter to the Corinthians is about that simple concept. It's about meaning. And he starts uh, with his church that he loves, but he, he sees some things that have gone awry, the way they have begun to celebrate certain individuals over another. Last week, Michael talked about uh, sexual immorality. What a difficult message to give, but a timely one, considering the culture that we live in today. The church in Corinth was dealing with, with all kinds of issues, even uh, just uh, dealing with the Lord's Supper appropriately. And so he gets almost to the end of the book. We fast forward today to chapter 12, and we see that he, in essence, is saying, listen, everyone, all of this stuff somehow all works together. You've got in your mind an idea of who you think is greater than or less than, but you're missing the point. And so in chapter 12, he flips the switch. He illustrates over and over, you do life God's way, you live by his design, and you'll find meaning, meaning that matters. And so we're in chapter 12, and we're going to find out today how we're wired, how we're gifted, how it all fits together in this thing called the body, this thing that Jesus called the church. But before we go any further, uh, I sent an email to, uh, to many of you yesterday and said, hey, don't forget your cell phones. Some of you have them out right now. If you've got a cell phone, I want you to get it out. That's right. Get it out. Turn it on. And we're going to have some fun with some text messaging. Uh, some of you have never texted messages before. This is your chance in church. To practice text messages. Don't check ESPN scores. Don't download free applications. Unless it's a Bible app. So let's have some fun here. Here's the first question. We're just going to see how things go. See how sharp this group is. First service did pretty well. I was pretty impressed. So what you're going to do is where it says text a keyword. Why don't you like, uh, AJ, can you just kind of scrub over that? See there. Your phone number is 22333. You're going to type that into where you'd normally put 757, blah, blah, blah. That's your phone number. And then your answer to the question will be texted at the bottom. And the first question, of course, do you wish the bistro at the coffee, or coffee bistro was free? Some of you say yes, waiting for some no's. Some of you might even like to pay $5 a cup if they'd let me. So far, it's just 100%. The first service played along a little better. We'll start again. So anyhow, that was a good, there it is. Thank you very much. The token, and you are able to pay $5 if you like. We've got a special permission today and today only. Oh, there's the nose. There they go. See, you're sharp. You're figuring it out. Isn't this fun? We're in church learning technology. Oh, there go the numbers. Let's try another question, AJ. The next one here is, in next week's service, I would like Paul to sing a song by Switchfoot, popular Christian band, The Gaithers, popular 
Christian band from many years ago, uh, or Justin Bieber. Now look, that happens so fast because up there in the corner, these guys know how to text, okay? There it is. There comes some folks. There comes the parents. Oh, there we go. The Gaithers. You held on for a long time. Some of you don't know who the Gaithers are. Go download them. I don't know where you could find them. Maybe on, maybe on iTunes. Um, love the Gaithers. Justin Bieber. Those of you who voted the Gaithers don't know who Justin Bieber is. So switch foot. All right, that's good information. That was good to know. Well, you've practiced well. Well, let's go to the real questions. Here we are. Remember, we're talking about gifts today. We're talking about people using their gifts in the body. So the first question is, what are your thoughts? Across America, what percentage of the average congregation volunteers in some capacity each week in the church? Do you think it's 90%, 60%, 20%, or 5%? I'll give you a second to text in. A lot of 20s, a lot of 5s, 60%. 60 just went down, 5 went up. Well, those of you who guessed 20%, you were right. So what that means is that uh, the, the majority of what it takes to happen across, uh, across the country in churches, uh, all across America, 20% of those who are coming on Sunday mornings are making that work happen. That's a tremendous amount of, of, of things being done by a small amount of people. Those of you who thought 90%, that's awful gracious of you. 5%, not quite. So 20% is a real number. Let's keep moving. How did the numbers stack up at Spring Branch? Let's find out from you all. See how they compare to the first service. Uh, number one, I actively volunteer using my gifts. Uh, I volunteer from time to time, or maybe I've yet to begin using my gifts here at Spring Branch. Let's talk about, let's see what it looks like here at the 11:15 service. Right down the middle. Who's going to win? So some more numbers will come in for a second. But I look at this and it tells me a couple things. One, this is very similar to the first service. One, there are a group of people, 30% of those who responded, who have their cell phone out, who are able to figure this out, what we're trying to accomplish right now, uh, say that they're using their gifts as a volunteer. That is tremendous and we applaud you. But there's two other numbers that... Um, that you know, and even the volunteer from time to time, I think that's great. Uh, you could always be challenged to volunteer more. But the second component really excites me and it scares me at the same point. Because it says here that the majority, 50% of those who've responded, have yet to begin using their gifts here at Spring Branch. If you're a leader here in this church, what does that say to you? Well, it says, one, that maybe people don't know what to do next. It might also say that they think that the only way that they can give back is by doing what they see here on stage. How many of you, have, without raising your hands, just think about, uh, you know, you've sat in seats right where you're sitting now. Probably the same seat that you've sat in for quite a while. And you've looked around, you've seen the level of excellence that is a value of ours that we hold fast to. You've seen what we do in children's ministry. You see how great the bistro looks. You hear how wonderful the musicians perform and, and lead us in worship and you think... What possibly do I have to give to this place? And if you've thought that even once, you're in good company with yours truly. Because when I first came here, I thought the same thing. And I had been hired. And I thought 10 years ago, what do I possibly have to give to this community? So there are a lot of us here in this room that have yet to begin using our gifts. That's exciting. We're going to show you a little bit how to connect a little further with that this morning as well. Here's the next question. I consider myself a regular volunteer, but at times have wondered if I was on the right seat on the bus. I'm volunteering, but boy, there's some questions. Nope, not me. 
You're in the right spot. Yes, but I worked through it. You know, had some questions. Definitely, in fact, that's me right now. Let's see how the numbers stack up. Now, for some of you, does that surprise you? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. If you text it, it obviously doesn't surprise you. But here's what this number tells me. In fact, this is very similar to the first service. It says to me that there are a group of people who are getting how they're wired and their purpose and how all of their gifts fit together in this thing that we call the church. There's another group of people who have at times, who are honest, who have said, you know what? I questioned whether or not I was in the right role, but I continued to work through it. Maybe I found another opportunity that was the right opportunity for me. But there is a 35-ish percent, maybe as it texts, it'll go down a little bit or up a little bit. But there's a significant group of people in this room who are saying, I feel like I'm in the wrong seat right now. And so why are you doing what you're doing? Probably the question, probably it's because uh, you feel like you should be doing something, and that's great. And that's part of the process. Maybe it's because of the big G word, guilt. Somebody made you feel guilty or you felt guilty. Gosh, if I don't do this, who's going to do it? So, so then you end up doing something that you don't feel gifted or wired to do. Well, it could be a lot of different reasons. But this morning we're really going to talk about how it is that God really has designed us, how he's wired us, and how we have a responsibility to figure that stuff out. And not to be in a spot or a seat on the bus where you are completely uh, just under, uh, underwhelmed and you feel like you are just not in the right spot at all. Because I believe that when you connect your gifts and your passions with the right serving opportunity, boy, that is a count me in moment like you've never experienced. So here's, here's a couple other questions real quickly. When it comes to spiritual gifts, I feel confident about my personal gifts. I think I have an idea of what my gifts are or I have no clue what you're talking about. When it comes to spiritual gifts, what might your answer be? Feel confident, uh, think I have an idea of what my gifts are or I have no clue what you're talking about. Numbers are coming in. Real-time polling. This is real stuff right here. Spring Branch Live. So here's what this tells me. That between those who have identified their gifts and those that have an idea of what their gifts are, um, there's a lot of people doing some great things here in this church. Now, chances are you have an idea of what you think spiritual gifts are. And maybe after today's message, your answer to this question might change just a little bit. But there's at least a group of people in this room, 15%-ish and maybe more, who are saying, I don't have any idea what you're talking about, spiritual gifts. Does this mean like the stuff I'm good at? Does this mean my hobbies? What do you mean by that? Well, we're going to look at the scriptures and see what that has to say today. Here's the last question. I'd like to get more involved, but I don't know where to begin. Like to get involved, like to serve more, but I don't know where to begin. First is yes, point me in the right direction. No, no, I'm not ready to make that next step. Or, or maybe three, you're already plugged in and you're using your gifts. Let's see how that looks. You guys are getting really sharp with this. These numbers are pretty consistent to the first service. So again, this tells me a couple of things. One, it says that people are ready right now 
50% right now, and that number may go up or down. I can't guess it can't go up. But um, that's telling me that there are people in this room that are saying, I, I want to do something. I want to take that next step. I'm ready for a count me in moments. I'm ready for, for something just to, to really connect how I'm wired. And I want to find and discover these gifts that you're talking about. But I don't know where to begin. Boy, that's, that's a large percentage of you. Some of you are not ready to make the next step. And I want you to know that, uh, that 17, almost 18 years ago when we began as a church, we held fast to the, to the principle that we trusted the journey, uh, the process that God has you in. So when you're ready to make that next step, it's going to be available to you. But I want to challenge you. I want to push you. Because my guess is if I were to poll all those who have said, I'm already plugged in and using my gifts... They would say that they really started to come alive in their faith when they started to actively use and figure, use their gifts and figure out how it is that they're wired. Maybe they started in one area and they ended up changing to another and now they're somewhere entirely different. But boy, were there enough count me, ins, count me in moments to, to fill a room. It's so well done. You guys have done well with the texting expose this morning. Give yourselves a hand. Well done. And so we're really, to this morning's message, again, is not, not just about finding information. It's not just about polling. But it's about us becoming the church. It's about us really being the body of Christ. It's about whatever Jesus, being whatever it is that Jesus was thinking about when he said the word church. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul begins. And he, he talks about this is what is really important. If you want to know what's important... Listen in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He starts with this. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers or sisters. I don't want you to be ignorant. This is important stuff. Paul is saying, listen up. I'm going to ask you to do something. This is important, so pay attention. He picks up in verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men and women. So what is Paul doing right here? He is leveling the playing field. You see, part of what was happening in this early church is that there were those who were saying certain gifts are more important than others. So, and then on the flip side of the spectrum, there were individuals saying, well, because my gifts aren't like those, then I have no value in this community. And Paul very quickly wanted to point out that, no, 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 this is not how the kingdom of God works. Each gift has equal value. Do you hear that? Every gift, everyone sitting next to you has been gifted and wired with purpose. And each of your gifts have equal value. Now, they may look the same, they may look differently, but they have equal value. Paul is adamant to communicate that. So he goes on in verses, four, or goes, verses 7 through 11. He says this, Now to each one, of the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now I'm going to read a list here in a minute. We'll read it on Scripture. And you're going to see some words and some gifts that maybe you've never heard of before. And we'll talk of those in a minute. So hang tight. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. 
to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. And this is Paul's point. This, in verse 11, he says this, All these are the work of one in the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Now, chances are some of you are sitting in, in, in here and you're looking at some of these gifts and you're thinking, that's not what I was thinking of when I put gifts um, on my text message screen. Now, Paul, uh, often I think in church, sometimes these gifts and many of the lists Paul gives are, are interpreted as exhaustive lists. Like somehow our lives have to fit into these specific parameters. But I believe that the real point of Paul's message was to say that everyone is gifted by the same God. But particularly spiritual gifts have a definition. And uh, let, me, let me give you that definition now from Bruce Bugby, who's the author of What You Do Best. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities that allow us to make our unique contribution. They are not necessarily our natural talents, but abilities that enable us to do ministry. These are often gifts that, that we were born with that may have laid, laid dormant uh, for years. But when we begin to walk in our relationship with God, something comes alive. It's like it reminds me of the story of the, of the loaves and the fish when Jesus fed the 5,000. What did the disciples, what were they asked to do? Jesus said, bring me what you've got. And so they brought a, a handful of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And so Jesus took their gift and then he did something absolutely miraculous with it. He fed over 5,000 people. It says 5,000 men. There were plus women and children. So who knows, 10,000 or more people that he might have fed. I believe that that's what spiritual gifts are to us today. So they are not, there's something that, that we just give on an earthly basis, but God takes and does something miraculous with it. What are some examples in addition to what's listed here in Scripture in this passage? Elsewhere, scripture lists administration as a spiritual gift, craftsmanship, creative communication, discernment, encouragement, hospitality, intercession. My mother has this gift of intercession, I believe. She's the, this is, intercession is where somebody uh, just feels a sense, a burden to pray for people. Uh, oftentimes, I can remember growing up where, where God would wake her up in the middle of the night and give her an image or a name to pray for. If my mom says she's prayed for you, you can believe her. Some of the rest of you, I'm not sure. It's often an end to a conversation. I'll pray for you. That was a joke, by the way. All of you always pray. None of you have ever done that. Intercession is so important. Leadership. In Romans 12, uh, Bill Hybels often talks about this particular gift, which he has clearly. And in Romans 12, it says that if you've been given the gift of leadership to lead with all diligence, do it with all that you, you have, all your might, every, every part of your, your body and soul with all your strength. Leadership is a spiritual gift. Shepherding, teaching. These are all examples of gifts given by God that when we begin to walk in our relationship with him, truly come alive. Scripture continues in verse, uh, verses 12. This is where uh, Paul, uh, Paul takes this idea of gifts. Okay, so all of you are gifted, he in essence says. The playing field is leveled. Okay, now, here's why all this matters. That's really what he's saying. And he starts by giving this great Example, I, I have three preschool-aged children, so Mr. Potato Head comes to mind. If I had a giant Mr. Potato, I would have brought it out here on stage. But he talks and gives this wonderful analogy of how the body works together. Verse 12 writes, The body is a unit, 
Though it is made up of many parts, and though it's, all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Again, playing field is leveled. You've got gifts, but all of these gifts somehow fit together to become this thing that we call the body. This is great. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And so he begins in this particular section of addressing those individuals who, like me at one time or another, have felt like my gifts were inadequate. You ever felt that way? My gifts just aren't enough. What do I possibly have to offer? This church, my family, anyone, what do I possibly have to offer? If I knew, I would give it. Again, that's part of, part of today's discussion. So he's addressing those individuals first who have felt on the outside. On the outside looking in. But he goes on, if the whole, whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, as it is there are many parts, but one body. So this is very clear. He's saying all of this works together. Could you imagine, uh, you know, uh, you know a, a giant eye? What if we were all eyeballs? What if we were all ears? What if we were all knees? What if we were all feet? That's not the body. And Paul gives this very clear, very simple, almost preschool analogy to help make sense how this thing is supposed to work together. Often we as adults try and complicate things, but it comes down to this very simply. So he goes on in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that, that lacked it. So there should be, what? No division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. If, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So he flips the switch and he starts talking to the individuals who have been lording their gifts. Maybe the, one that's, the, the gifts that, that are getting all of the airtime, The gifts that everyone's seeing. The ones that seem to be the most spiritual and he says, no, your responsibility, if you have one of those gifts, is to serve those around you. It's to honor those around you. It's to not forget those who are doing things when no one else is looking. That's your responsibility to serve. And this is how he closes the passage. He says this, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. You know, I, can, I think of individuals that, that are often forgotten in communities like Spring Branch. Um, I can think of the wonderful MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers, volunteers who 
volunteer every other Tuesday to uh, just to rock babies or to be with children that no one ever sees because the building is not filled on a Tuesday. I can think of uh, one particular name comes to mind, Jane Cole. Jane Cole has been a part of Spring Branch for years and years, and she lives in Florida now, wonderful senior adult. She's the kind of individual that I've never had more than a five-minute conversation with her. But when she comes up to me after a service and says, God has gifted you, God has blessed you, and she gives me a specific word, I know that Jane has been gifted in that moment to encourage. That's a spiritual gift. And those of us who know Jane know that to be true. There are individuals who work backstage in the darkness that bring out monitors and, and podiums and music stands that have been doing this for years and years. Barb and Alcachi and on and on and on. You know, there are individuals that no one ever thinks about. but They're using their gifts and it's our responsibility to remember, remember that somehow all of these gifts work together in the body. But really, you know, as we continue our search for meaning, our Meaning is bigger than just finding out our spiritual gifts. In fact, how we're wired is more than just our spiritual gift. It involves our entire story. And Saddleback Church out in California, Rick Warren's church, uses a particular acronym to help its church define how they're wired. The acronym is called SHAPE. And so this morning we're going to talk just, to, just for a moment about your shape. Discovering your shape. The S stands for spiritual gifts. And here are a couple of questions that you should be asking. Is it how, how has God uniquely gifted you through his spirit? And this could be one way. It could be many different ways. Uh, the Bible is clear that there's no real formula for this. But Paul is clear that it's your responsibility to figure it out. The H stands for heart. This is one of my favorite ones. Because heart is, is really what, where your passions lie. It's what makes your heart beat fast. What keeps you up at night. What makes you angry. Where do you find the most joy? You'd be surprised to know that, that maybe some of that, that anger and resentment you have, God can really turn and use it for good. He wants to use it. Maybe there's a, a particular um, you know, a story on TV that just really caught your attention and you want to do something about it. Uh, maybe it's something here at the church. Maybe... Um, Maybe you just have a heart for, for tutoring young children and you want to use your gifts uh, to make that possible and make your gifts available. I don't know what it is, but we all have these passions. That's the H. Abilities is the A. What do you do well? You know, a lot of people think when it comes to spiritual gifts that God wants us to be miserable. Like is, that he wants us to do things that we're not, we don't want to do. You know, as God, I'm afraid to say, count me in, because are you going to send me on the mission field, God? You know, am I going to have to spend the rest of my life in, you know, um, somewhere in, in Africa? I, I know Michael went, but I just don't know that I could do that. But the truth is, is that God wants you to start using what you do well, even here in this body. Dennis Hedspeth comes to mind when I think of somebody who does this well. Dennis is a, uh, you know, works uh, with the school system, and he and he trains uh, teachers who work um, with special needs kids. And, but he also, here in this church, uh, uses his gift as a financial planner to help families uh, really uh, grab hold of their, of, their, of their finances and get out of debt. He has a passion to see uh, people really use their resources for the kingdom and to find some financial freedom. That's something that he does well and he loves to do it. What are some of the things that you love well or you love, love to do and, and you do well? Personality is the P. 
Here's a question. What do you, this asks questions like, uh, do you prefer activities that involve working with others or do you prefer to be alone? Do you enjoy repetitive tasks or do you prefer to switch things up a bit? Do you need variety? Do you reflect before you speak or are you like Adam and you express openly everything that's possibly on your mind at any given moment? These are all a part of how you're wired. Your personality matters. And, and God really wants nothing to do with the individual that, that or, or has no desire to put an individual in a situation where they're serving and they're miserable. He wants a count you in moment way more than you do because he gets, if, he gets at the key to meaning through Jesus Christ is discovering how you're wired, how your personality fits in, what are your abilities, what, what are you passionate about, what makes you angry, what keeps you up at night, and using those things for the sake of the kingdom. Finally, experiences. What trial or hurdle from your past might be used to encourage or challenge someone today? In my ordination message a, few, a month or so ago, I said that uh, from Romans, that there is no part of your story that's irredeemable. There's no part of your life, your history, your experience that God can't use for his sake, for the kingdom. He wants to use your story. I spoke to, uh, to a group of men uh, a couple weeks ago, challenged them on this last question. What does your particular life space has to, uh, have to offer an emerging generation? I said to this group of uh, 45, 50, 60 year old guys that said, you have a responsibility to be investing your life into an emerging generation. Who in your life right now needs your story, could benefit from your life experience? Who is there? How could God use your story, your experience? All this put together, here, so here's the truth about our gifts, about our shape. Our gifts were built into us when God formed us. You can't open this book, you can't look through the book of Psalms without seeing the reality of, of God's love for us even before we were created. David writes that, that we were knit together in our mother's womb intimately, that we were fearfully and wonderfully, fearfully and wonderfully made. God built those gifts into us when we were formed. Our gifts can be observed in childhood. Those of you who have, who have kids right now, look at, look at the gifts. What gifts is God just bringing to life right now as they come alive? Maybe in their walk with God, but just as they start to figure out who they are. My son Luke has a tremendous, unlike his father, a tremendous gift of mercy. Loves to give. Just loves to, loves to love. And just has a heart the size of this room. And uh, whenever uh, somebody comes at him with a karate chop, he's like, I'm ready to hug you. Let's, let's just hug it out. So pray for him. <laughs> In fact, uh, this week, uh, this is how big his heart is. Uh, he, he had, when he was three years old, he made a, uh, a necklace for Perrin, uh, which my wife and uh, gave it to her. And uh, he loved that necklace so much that he gave it to his kindergarten teacher this week. Uh, and and, and Perrin called me, you know, was like, what do I do? And, I, and you know, me with the gift of mercy, he said, don't squash his gift. Just let him be, let it happen. And not being considerate of her, of her, the fact that her, her, you know, her prized possession was, was given away. But this is a boy who one day is going to love people beyond reason. He's the kind of boy that is going to lead people uh, into serving in a way that is, that is going to hurt. He's going to challenge people to do things that I can see today at not even six years old. We can see these things at childhood. Our gifts color all that we see. 
how we're wired, everything that we are, it affects the way we see life. How do you see life today? Our gifts give only one perspective of the whole. They're not just, how could we all be eyeballs or ears? They're only one perspective. And finally, our gifts were given to be used for the benefit of others. And that's Paul's point. Is that we can come to a place like this today. We can discover our gifts. And, but if we're missing the point that all of this somehow has to be used for the sake of someone else. Andy Stanley says it really well when he says that, that we are responsible to leverage our life, our gifts, our talents, everything we have for the sake of those around us. How are we actively doing that? Because all this put together, the truth is, is really hard work. It's not going to be easy. It's not something that happens overnight. There's no amount of tests. There's no amount of classes that you can take that, are, that you're going to be able to nail this. This is a process. And that's why he says, Paul says in, in Philippians 2, to continue to work out your salvation and fear and trembling. It's going to be hard. You've got to work it out. If you don't work out your gift, it atrophies just like a muscle. It lies dormant. But God's with God's grace. He wants to breathe new life desperately into your gift. So what happens when you don't give, when you don't use your gifts? The body suffers. When someone who is connected to the body here at Spring Branch withholds their gifts, Spring Branch suffers. Are you hearing me? Those of you who on this list said, I'm waiting for what to do next. Part of your process is we can have the most perfect design and you can follow a, a, a schedule. And, and I've got something I'm going to tell you about here this morning that's really exciting. But ultimately, take the time to figure it out. Take some test drives. Serve in some capacity here. Don't do it out of obligation. Try it. You might be surprised at what you find out. Because when you don't, we suffer. The body suffers. Well, yesterday I mentioned that... Um, I did a, uh, performed a couple of weddings, and I was getting something to eat at Tropical Smoothie, and, a, and a, a church member came in. Her name is Chesney, and I've known Chesney for a few years. And uh, she is one of those uh, girls that every time you see her, she comes and she says, you will never believe what just happened to me. And you, you can't. You can't really believe it. It's always amazing. And she's just so excited, and it, it is, uh, it's, it's just fun to be around her. And so she came to me and she said, I woke up this morning. She was actually going, to, uh, going to, uh, to be a part of a wedding as well. She said, I woke up and I started singing, this is the day that the Lord has made. Remember that song from preschool and in Sunday school class? This is the day, this is the day. She said, I, she sang it just like that. She said, I was singing that song. She said, but you're never going to believe what happened. And I'm just waiting on the edge of my seat. She said, I called my friend who's getting married today. And guess what song she was singing this morning? This is the day she walked out, you know, wanted to spike her sandwich on the ground. She could, I mean, it was, she was, she was just overjoyed. And I thought, that was awesome. And she just took her smoothie and she left. And I thought, wow, that was, that was an amazing moment. And I, I couldn't help but think back to when I first met Chesney. I met her a few years ago when she was just in the midst of a spiritual awakening. Where her life in Christ was beginning to really come alive for the first time. Life was just starting to make sense and all the synapses were popping and everything was connecting. And she came to me and she said, okay, you're never going to believe what just happened. Every time I met with her, it was a story like that. And it was something amazing. She was looking for God everywhere. And she came to me and she said, what should I do next? And I told her, I said, um, you know, after talking about her gifts and how she was wired, I said, why don't you consider volunteering in student ministry, which was what I was doing at the time. 
And she said, okay, and she did that and had so many, you'll never guess what just happened moments with high school girls on girls' retreats. And then finally she had an opportunity in the summer to go on a mission trip. And she said, what should I do? I said, what do you want to do? She said, I want to go to Nicaragua. And I said, okay, go to Nicaragua. Well, she had an experience, a moment that she told me about when she got back from that trip. And of course it began with, you'll never guess what just happened. And she began to talk about how her, somehow God connected with her in this very desolate place. It was, uh, it was a Nueva Vida. It was a place that, uh, that was just a hopeless place, a refugee camp even, where, where there were hungry people. And there was a feeding center that was beginning. And something started inside of her, and she couldn't quite put her finger on it. But she came home, and she said, I just know that I've got to figure this thing out. What's next? And so over the next few months... I stayed in touch with her, and finally she said, you'll never guess what just happened. She said, somehow I found a way um, to get a job with an organization called Stop Hunger Now. And she said, I I had no idea I could do this, but she said, "I, I don't have a lot of gifts, but I've got a mouth. And she said, I found a way that I can use my ability, she was doing radio sales, she said, to, to tell people about all of the hungry people around the world and talk to them about why they should be giving to this. Well, it's happened two times, but most recently, a month or so ago, I got an email that said that Stop Hunger Now donated a container of food to Orphan Network, valued at $76,000. Now watch this. $76,000 translates into this many meals. 286,000 meals. 286,000 mouths are going to be fed because of Chesney, who decided that she was going to figure out her gifts, how she was wired, and then find a way to use them in this body to change lives. Now, here's what I wonder. How many Chesneys are sitting in this room right now and don't even know it? Because you've yet to discover your gifts, you've yet to put your gifts into action because you're waiting for the right moment, you're waiting for the right opportunity, you're waiting for something, a sign from God. Well, guess what? This is it. This is your sign. It's time to get involved. It's time to start figuring this thing out. Because when you don't do this, look at what's at stake. It's not just about hungry, uh, hungry lives. There are, think of how many spiritually hungry people are here in this community of Virginia Beach who desperately need your gifts. There is so, so much at stake. I've got a class that I'm starting next Sunday. It's called Discover Your Design. And I'm going to be holding it up on the third floor. And it's going to be three weeks long. And if this conversation has remotely sparked something inside of you, even if you think you know your gifts, I want you to spend three weeks with me. If you're a part of A2 already, and uh, I promise you your teacher will give you a pass for three weeks. We're going to take some tests together. You're going to meet some others who are right where you are. But we want to help you begin this journey of discovering your gifts and serving. You're not doing this alone. In fact, I would love for there to be so many responses to Linda that we have to do it in this room. We're going to do it up in the third floor, but let's do something amazing. Imagine what could happen here in this community if we really really as a community started to figure out how we are wired, how all of this comes together, how we were sculpted, but how this community is sculpted by many. That's definitely a count me in moment if I've never heard one. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, Lord, I thank you for 
for today. I thank you for the air in our lungs, for the person sitting beside us, in front of us, behind us. Those that we know, those that we don't know, God. Those that are all trying to figure out and answer some of the same questions that we are trying to figure out here today. What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? What am I here to do? What purpose do you have for me? I pray today, God, that we would all continue to do the hard work of figuring out how it is that we're wired and how we all fit into this thing that you call the body. Not for our own sake, God, but for the hungry mouths that have to be fed, for the lives that are far from you, for the families who are in the throes of divorce right now who so desperately need to hear and find hope, for those who are hurting, for those who are wrestling with addiction, for the students in high school and middle school who are trying to find their own identity, for the children in promised land who can yet even speak, God. Would we find our gifts and use them in the body because this body suffers when we don't. Father, we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
Yeah.